Hello, and thank you for listening to the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal podcast. The Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal is co-sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators and the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. My name is Eva Thanheiser. I'm talking with Andrew Ijak, who is a professor at Tufts University in the School of Arts and Sciences in the Department of Education. We will be discussing the article, Using Coordinated Measurement with Future Teachers to Connect Multiplication, Division, and Proportional Relationships, published with co-authors Tori Kulo at Portland State University, Sibylla Beckman at the University of Georgia, Dean Stevenson at Prince William County Schools, and Burak Olmez at the University of Georgia. In the September 2019 issue of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal. We will begin by summarizing the main points of the article and discuss in more depth the lessons they shared in the article, their successes and challenges, and how these lessons relate to their work. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I'll jump right into the first question. Can you give us a brief summary of the article, including the results? Yes, the article presents a way of thinking about multiplication that we have been developing in the context of uh, pre-service teacher education at the University of Georgia. And sort of the main thing that we hope readers will get is a vivid existence proof of future teachers being able to construct on their own sound explanations for division by fractions and solving proportional relationships, topics that research article after research article reports teachers have difficulties with. Yeah, this is actually something I was thinking about because your article isn't like a one-time innovation. It's kind of an overview of several activities within a course. So it's like you just said, it's an existence proof that this can be done with some examples. And I'm just going to go ahead and say that there is a lot of stuff in the appendix of the article. If people do want to try out some of the activities, they're all included there. So let's jump into the next question. Who do you think should read this article or could use these activities? So, of course, we think everybody should read the article. <laughs> I think we really have sort of two kind of overlapping audiences in mind, uh, folks who identify themselves as mathematics teacher educators who are working with future teachers around topics related to multiplication, particularly fractions, proportional relationships, linear function, and also mathematics education researchers more broadly. And of course, there, there are many, many people who sort of live at the intersection of those identities. Yeah, so anybody who is teaching a course where this is a topic in the course could benefit from pulling some of those activities. What important problem or issue does your article address? The main sort of problem that we're addressing is sort of this thing I alluded to earlier, which is that in the sort of literature on, on teacher education, there's you know been a sort of several decades of research in which numerous reports say that teachers have difficulty understanding sort of how to explain division by fractions, how to dis uh, explain other topics related to multiplication. And we were interested in developing approaches to multiplication which would provide sort of scaffolding and context in which teachers could be sort of be able to achieve sort of success stories where, where teachers were able to sort of make sense out of these topics. 
I was very intrigued when I was reading this article because this, you know, this falls squarely into what I do regularly, which is teach content courses. And there was just so much in there, right? Like it's kind of like a whole course, but also pieces that can be pulled out. So as you based your work on a lot of prior work in the field, right? Like you said uh, multiple times, do you want to pull out a few studies that you were building on? Of course, are these bodies of empirical studies, you know, the Deborah Ball, Lee Ping Ma stuff around, you know, teachers having difficulty construct U.S. teachers, not Chinese, but U.S. teachers having trouble constructing word problems that would illustrate something like one and three quarters divided by a half. You know, we have studies, and I think that's sort of circa 1990, well, I think was when Deborah Ball was first publishing sort of stuff out of her dissertation about that. So we're sort of thinking about results as far back as that. And also results, um, there's a much smaller body, but a growing body of, of research on teachers' difficulty with proportional relationships. They sort of note across multiply, but they have, you know, other kinds of troubles distinguishing things that are linear but not proportional, additive relationships or multiplicative relationships. We sort of have all of that in, in the back of our minds. But the other thing that we have in it that we are also um, thinking hard about are, are sort of how we as uh, sort of researchers in the field and teacher educators in the field conceptualize multiplication. So there's a lot of, you know, you can read a lot of studies in which someone will say, you know, multiplication is not repeated addition. And I think sort of within the research community, people understand sort of the limitations of thinking about multiplication is, uh, is uh, repeated addition. And maybe the primary audience for those kinds of statements might be parents, uh, might be school administrators, might be some teachers who have, because uh, this kind of meaning of multiplication is sort of in the embedded in the culture, right? Another kind of meaning is that fractions are, you know, so many pieces out of so many pieces, three out of four slices. So I think there's a kind of a, a well-established sort of stance among mathematics education researchers and teacher educators about sort of trying to shift other adults' points of view about these topics. We are actually trying to shift sort of the research field's perspective on these topics as well. So we've done a bunch of work kind of revisiting and kind of critiquing work by Vergniaud, by Pat Thompson, various other people who have sort of written extensively about multiplication, Davidov, and have sort of developed a, an approach to, to these topics based in what we call coordinated measurement, and, which, and this is sort of laid out in briefly in the article. And uh, we're kind of using that sort of reconceptualization of the meaning of multiplication in order to sort of as the foundation for driving everything that we do. Can you explain that a little bit, this reconceptualized version of multiplication? What distinguishes multiplication from addition is that you have some quantity which we refer to as a product amount and you are simultaneously measuring that quantity in two different units one unit we call a base unit the other unit we call a group so you might have some length and you might measure that in inches and you might measure that in feet and so this is this sort of idea of taking a given quantity and measuring it simultaneously in two different units that's what is characteristic of multiplication. And if you adopt that point of view, it actually, in other articles that we've published, like in JRME and Educational Studies of Mathematics, it actually sort of propagates out and has lots of consequences for how you think about uh, multiplication, 
across different things like area situations, equal group situations, rate situations, how you think about division, how you think about these things as laying a foundation for proportional relationships. I don't know. You started with the feet and inches. If you could give an example that would highlight how you described a relationship between multiplication and division in this article. So we think of multiplication, uh, sorry, as division is multiplication with an unknown factor. Uh, Pre-service teachers often come sort of thinking that division is about partitioning. And that's also kind of an idea that's sort of out there kind of in the culture. When you take something and you separate it out into equal size groups, and people use the word division to refer to that activity frequently, but it actually causes all kinds of problems. In our work with future teachers, we refer to that as partitioning, that activity of separating things into equal size groups. And division for us instead is is uh, sort of the answer to one of two different kinds of questions. One kind of question is you have your product amount and you want to know how many groups you have. So that would be measurement division or quotative division in um, sort of terminology that's often used in the field. And another kind of situation is you might ask, how many units do you have in one group? So that would be like, that would be a part of a sharing division. But these are asking with another. And we're asking sort of different kinds of measurement questions when it's sort of a quote unquote measurement or quotative division type situation from questions that we're asking when it's a, a measurement or sorry, a sharing or partitive division situation, but all the questions are about measurement. One of the big unifying pieces of your work, I think, is this notion that multiplication and division are the same thing. They're part and parcel of this sort of same structure. That helps you kind of see a lot of mathematics connected that maybe previously you didn't see as connected. Yes. Could you... Just for people who maybe haven't spent that much time thinking of it, just give us a specific example that you know of one of these equations and how it's multiplication and division. We could do like you know an example with whole numbers. Is that sort of what you have in mind? Yeah. yeah. We can we can go back to the length example. I have some length. I have some group that I'm using to measure the length. So let's say. I know the length is, let's see if I get this right. So I, I know the, let's say I know the length is like 60 inches. And I know that I'm, I'm measuring it in these groups. And there are five groups that also make that same length. Then the partitive or sharing division question in the situation is how many units make just one of those groups? 12, 12 inches make the group. So that's how you would think about sort of sharing a partitive division in this context of coordinated measurement. For the other kind of division question, you would know that, you have, um, that you've got 12 inches in a foot and you're again measuring the same length, which in the end we're going to know is 60 inches, when you're asking sort of how many of these groups fit into that larger length. That's measurement or quotative division. So one of the examples that you list in the article that was powerful for me was this notion of, I think, teaspoons and cups. Is that an example you guys used? And how you, if you're in a recipe and you have like a lot of teaspoons, you could say, well, this many make a cup. And then you could like think in cups versus in teaspoons. I don't know if that was exactly what you had, but I don't know why, but that really helped me think about this coordination idea of units. What research questions did you study 
in this paper that you published? The main thing, and it's it stated somewhere, I think so, not until maybe the middle of the paper. <laughs> it's always good to bury your research questions right. somewhere in the, in the middle of a paper. The main thing that we were asking, you know, is, is if you provide this sort of instructional context for future teachers in which you're using this explicit meaning for multiplication, grounded and coordinated measurement, you start with whole number examples. You also provide certain, we also use particular kinds of drawings, double number lines and strip diagrams that we use across all these different topics in the course. So they're sort of like a coherent backbone. We're always referring to the same meaning of multiplication. We're always using these same kinds of drawings, even if the questions shift from multiplication questions to division questions, even if the kinds of numbers that we're working with shift from whole numbers to fractions. We always have these sort of same core pieces that are showing up across, you know, week after week after week in the course. If you provided that kind of support, could future teachers just figure out how to divide fractions by themselves? Could they figure out, you know, how to solve proportional relationships? Again, sort of, you know, just generate sort of sensible solutions to these kinds of problems. If we go back to the example you mentioned earlier with the 60 inches and the feet, and we imagine this number line, so we would have two, you said double number line, right? So we would have two number lines and one would be cut into feet and one would be cut into inches. How you allocate the number lines depends on whether or not you're using doing measurement division or partitive division. Okay. So if you're, at least that's how we, I'm sure there are probably other ways to do it, but at least that's sort of how we do it in these courses. So if you are thinking measurement division, so you have this length that's 60 inches and you want to know sort of how many groups of 12 inches fit into that, then you would assign both number lines would be in terms of inches. Okay. So one number line would be showing you the sort of the original 60 inch length. And the second number line would be sort of showing or showing you these sort of 12 inch segments that you're iterating or using to build up and trying to figure out how many of those are going to fit. Okay. That kind of reasoning works. You didn't ask this, but I'll just sort of make the point here. That's kind <laughs> of a sort of approach to thinking about a problem works equally well with whole numbers and with fractions. Okay. And then for partitive division, you uh, the uh, the assignments for the number lines are different. One number line is the unit is inches, and the other number line, the unit is groups. So in this case, sort of what the one whole refers to in each number line is different. You started alluding to this, but I'm going to follow up. Is So if we work with this equation that you illustrated earlier, for relating multiplication and division and these double number lines, how does this help students create meaning for division of fractions? First of all, some familiarity with sort of how to think about double number lines as a resource for solving problems. Uh, we don't think that reasoning about number lines is self-evident self-evident, or more easy. We think it sort of takes uh, sort of practice and time to sort of build up familiarity with how to do that. And, and that's one of the reasons, that's, that's a main reason why we really, in terms of drawn models in our courses, we just have two that we use consistently, the double number line and the strip, strip diagrams, and we use them for everything. Because we sort of think that we're investing time in learning how to reason with those representations in the first place. And then once you've made that investment, of course, you want to reap the benefits of, of learning how to reason with them. And then the meaning of multiplication the question is the same. You're still asking sort of how many groups do you have if we're thinking about a measurement division situation. And in the first example with the 60 and the 12, 
and the five, everything was in whole numbers. So but you can ask the same kind of question with fractions instead. In terms of, of solving this problem with drawings, the extra twist is that you have to learn how to partition. You have to learn how to sort of take lengths and break them up into equal sized pieces that allow you to sort of coordinate the partitioning of one thing with another. So coordinating partitioning, say a cup in thirds with a cup in fifths. So we spend a lot of, we spend, uh, we explicitly develop partitioning skills and talk about how you can use sort of factor product combinations to partition. We, in the context of uh, fractions, we, we spend quite a bit of time talking about how in some situations you're looking for the common multiple of the denominators, but for other kinds of situations, you're looking for common multiples of the numerators. There's a whole kind of um, facility with partitioning that we think is really critical for being successful in this domain that really is not well developed, certainly in, in school curricula that we've seen and we suspect in a lot of uh, teacher education as well. So we, we invest quite a bit of time in sort of learning how to partition and that sort of helps you then extend measurement division double number lines with whole numbers into fractions. As I'm listening to you and reflecting on reading the paper and thinking about my situation where the whole numbers course is a different course from the fractions course, mm -hmm. it seems like it would be really important to have some consistency across the courses with what models you're using to be able to leverage those in when you hit the fractions course, that seems to be what you're saying, right? You read, you're just using two models, but you're using the models that you think are going to be most useful for the students throughout. Lengths are very sort of fast, so you can kind of use them to stand for things that aren't lengths. We don't have experience with pre-service teachers, for instance, having trouble using lengths to represent volume. Right, so you could have you know this problem about cups and teaspoons, and you could use lengths about that. We've never sort of detected that using sort of a length quantity to represent a volume quantity has caused problems for teachers. And the nice thing about using lengths is that you know down the road you uh, want to sort of connect things to Cartesian graphs and slopes of lines, and so you need lengths for that. So we're, you know we might as well just start there. So you just hinted at you didn't see difficulties with that. Did you run into any difficulties with the materials that you developed? Were there any challenges that you want to share? Are you asking about sort of over the years of, of developing this approach? Or are you asking about sort of pedagogical things we've learned, sort of typical stumbling blocks that future teachers encounter? Yeah, now I want to ask both of those. <laughs> So let's just answer both. With respect to developing we, the course, we spent a lot of time, I guess tinkering would probably be a fair term, tinkering with the meaning of multiplication. So in earlier iterations, this sort of sense of, of coordinated measurement wasn't developed as fully, but we read the Davidoff work on multiplication and measurements, and a lot of that is restricted to whole numbers. And we started really sort of thinking about uh, sort of a measurement sense of fractions with respect to the multiple canned. So, you know, if you have uh, four uh, recipes and each one uh, requires three-fourths of a cup of sugar. So we were sort of thinking about sort of the measurement sense of three-fourths of a fraction. 
there. So how many cups make the smaller quantity? The cup, the one cup is the measurement unit for the smaller quantity. And then we thought, well, you know, why not just use that meaning for the multiplier as well? So that, that was something that, that got added later. And now we're kind of in this place where we are sort of um, all numbers in the multiplication equation are interpreted from this measurement point of view. That has, in the paper we sort of explained, that has sort of a lot of consequences that sort of propagate out from that. That's one thing that, and of course we tinkered with activities. You know, we, we tried activities and sort of saw how future teachers engage with them and sort of thought, well, you know, we'd like to make various changes to this the next time around. The ones that are in the appendix to the article are ones that we have used several times and feel pretty good about in the sense that at least for us, we've been able to generate good conversation with future teachers using those activities in the context of our, of our courses things that future teachers have difficulty with are this measurement sense of fraction. So um, thinking about a fraction from a measurement point of view, that takes a while to get used to. In this conversation today, we haven't uh, talked about that too, too much yet. So with whole numbers, you have a sort of a sense of measurement. So, you know, how many feet, you know, make up that 60 inches? Well, there's five copies of that one foot. In order to extend the sort of measurements and fractions, you have to keep that one foot as your measurement unit. And now you're asking how many of those make something small, let's say like an inch. So we're using the one foot, the longer piece, to measure the smaller piece. And that's how you think about one twelfth. How many of the big piece make the small piece? So that, that's a measurement sense of unit fraction. From there, you can iterate the unit fractions to get a measurement sense of five twelves or fifteen twelves, proper fractions and proper fractions, what have you. But building that sort of measurement sense of a, of a fraction, the measurement sense of a number in general, that's not easy for future teachers necessarily. Yeah, and you lay that out in the paper with some pictorial examples. So... We started with this in let's kind of think about closing the article out by A, giving you a chance to add things that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about yet, but you would like to add, and B, revisiting what the contributions are that you made to the field with this paper in particular, but potentially beyond that with your approach, and how other people might use this innovation. And now I'm realizing I'm asking you three questions in one. But <laughs> So let's just kind of think about, maybe start with re-summarizing the contributions that you made and then add in other things that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about yet that you would like to include. Can I do those in the other order? Yes, you may. One other piece that's really critical about the contribution is that we have two different ways of sort of thinking about proportional relationships. One we refer to as multiple batches, and this is a perspective on proportional relationships, which is very well represented in the research literature on sort of children's thinking. So if you think of stuff like Joanne Lobato's work on composed unit reasoning, you sort of form some sort of uh, a batch and you make copies of it. So this is often a sort of a very consequential moment in, in children's thinking about fractions because it's the, sort of the first, it, it is a way in which they can initially experience success coordinating variation in two different quantities at the same time. So I might be sort of thinking that a third of a cup is a half of a recipe. And I sort of think of that as sort of, you know, a single thing. And I make copies of that so I can ask how many cups I need for a whole recipe, for two recipes, for you know five halves of a recipe. 
we refer to that as multiple batches. This coordinated measurement structural sense of multiplication also reveals that there's another way to think about proportional relationships, which we refer to as variable parts, which has essentially been completely overlooked by the research field. We've been writing about it, presenting about it at a variety of conferences, AMTE, NCTM, PME, NA, PME International. And this way of thinking about proportional relationships is supported with the strip diagrams. And so the idea, if you imagine sort of a three-part strip and a five-part strip, maybe the three-part strip is red paint and the five-part strip is blue paint, All the convention is all the parts have to have the same number of gallons in them. And the way that you get covariation is not by making extra copies of these strips, but by just putting more and more units inside of each part. So you sort of think about it almost like the numbers of parts are fixed, but you allow them to dilate. And this this way of thinking about proportional relationships is novel for the fields. It's a very important uh, contribution of the work. And and we sort of show examples in the paper of of future teachers who are able to sort of pick up quite successfully. One of the places that this is really important is sort of a little bit more locally. It provides a very elegant and accessible way of thinking about why slope of a line is invariant. And more generally, it provides a very elegant way of sort of thinking about invariance for, uh, for any kind of geometric similarity, anything that can be sort of conceived of as sort of geometric similarity. This variable parts perspective on proportional relationships, that's sort of its natural habitat. It provides, we think, um, sort of new and really potentially promising avenues into sort of thinking about central content. So that's another really sort of critical piece of the contribution. The first question you wanted to ask was what? I've dropped it by now. I answered your second question first. I think that it was related. Like, what would you like to say that we haven't gotten to yet? And what is your contribution to the field? Which I think you answered both of those with your response. It seems like another contribution that at least I took away, I don't know if that was an intended contribution of this paper, was this this really unifies multiplication and division, this approach. That's something that's sometimes difficult for pre-service teachers to see, that those are not two separate things. I'm glad that that came through clearly. We, you know, one of the things that uh, we really care about in this approach, we think that uh, sort of developing a coherent approach to all these different topics related to multiplication is critical for as a kind of a foundation for designing environments in which future teachers are able to sort of really make sense of this content for themselves. However, we don't, in our experience, sort of interacting with reviewers, I don't think so much for the MTE piece, but sort of for other kinds of play experiences where we've been disseminating our work, we have a sense that it's not a sort of a given that the field as a whole thinks that coherence across you know, topics related to multiplication is important or even a good idea. I think we're a little bit surprised by this, but uh, the sort of idea that coherence is a desirable sort of thing to work towards uh, may actually be some sort of a conversation for the field to have. That'll be a good conversation to have. (laughs) All right, let's close out by just hearing you maybe talk a little bit about what you think the MTE listener or reader can take away from this paper into their own practice? I might sort of appeal to what I think is sort of a final paragraph in the paper. I think it's important 
when people read the examples of the future teachers reasoning that we present in the paper along with the written work that they're producing in which they're giving sort of very lovely explanations for things like seven divided by three fifths is 35 thirds and, and offering explanations for proportional relationships. Those accomplishments are sort of embedded in a pretty complicated sort of course design. Many of the features, you know, we've talked about attention to coherence, uh, using an explicit meaning of a fixed explicit meaning of multiplication across topics to, in support of that coherence, using the same kinds of math drawings, the double number lines and the strip diagrams to support that coherence. It's a quite sustained and sort of environment, a complicated environment that we have created in which these teachers are experiencing these kinds of, of successes. It's entirely possible that a reader might take one or two of our activities that are in the appendix and try them, and they might achieve some sort of success, but whether or not they would achieve the same kind of success that we report in the article with those examples is unclear to me. There really is sort of a push to sort of think, you know, really systemically about sort of approaches to multiplication. So maybe another message that your article sends is really about coherence, whether within this topic or other topics, that as we think about developing courses, we don't think in terms of activities, but we think in terms of the whole course and how mm -hmm. things, or maybe even across courses in my case, for example. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. For further information on this topic, you can find the article on the Math Teacher Educator website. This has been your host, Ava Thenheiser. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Thank you very much for having me.